Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome everyone into Undivided, episode number 21. This episode and all our episodes are brought to you by our sponsor, Audible.com. That is Audible.com, the world's leader in spoken audio. For audiobooks, online periodicals, anything spoken word, online speeches, any spoken audio, it's Audible.com. That's Audible.com, our sponsor for our show. And welcome again to Undivided episode number 21. It is 7 o'clock here on the East Coast. I am your host, Frank J. Maduri. And this is episode number 21, Teen Stress. And along tonight will be my special guest, Arlene Schneider. And I figure I will top the show with our disclaimer. The views of this show, views of the guests, in this case, Arlene, the view of the host, in this case, myself, may not necessarily be the view of the host, the views of the guests, and is definitely not the views of Life Coach Radio Network. So that disclaimer is out of the way. Welcome to our program tonight. And here in the evening of May the 2nd, 2018, we hit 90 degrees here in New Jersey in the thermometer, 90 degrees. And we're probably going to hit 90 tomorrow, and we could hit 90 on Friday. So we have a mini heat wave here in the early days of May. We had a lousy spring, and we kind of leapfrogged right into into mid-June, mid and late-June temperatures here. And I watched, uh, you know, heat can make people feel very stressed. And I watched a group of high schoolers in preparation for the show tonight, and I was out and about today. And I was watching them walking home from school, and they seemed very hot and very run down and very stressed out. So that sets uh, uh, the table for us this evening, so to speak. And that the average high school student, you know, why did we decide to do this topic tonight? It can cause a lot of division. Stress in a high school student can cause them to be divided from themselves, from their classmates, from their peer groups from their parents and their siblings, can cause them to isolate or feel ostracized. The average high school student has the same anxiety level as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. That's from Psychology Today. That's a pretty powerful statistic when you think about it. Anxiety and depression rates have increased over the past 50 years. And we had episode 19 with Paul Garwood on... uh, the suicide epidemic, and we talked about that in high schools and even in elementary schools we're seeing it with bullying and with the stress that has been placed upon students today. 20% of female Latino high school students seriously considered suicide, and 15% of them made a plan. 16% of white female high school students also considered attempting suicide because of the stress of school. In one article I read, I believe it was in the New York Times, the uh, girl in high school, now she's in film school, uh, but at the time she said in high school it felt like she was walking up uphill, up Mount Everest, in a pair of stiletto heels. That's a pretty powerful quote. That's a pretty powerful sentiment around the level of stress that these children feel. We're going to get into high schools in New Jersey. It's my home state because uh, two different high schools uh, have run an experiment where they put uh, students that are, they quote, 
they call quote unquote more fragile students in a uh, special classroom. And that's according to the New York Times. They did that report. 49% of high school students reported experiencing, quote, a great deal of stress. That's from the Atlantic. 50% of high school students reported three or more hours of homework a night. And 26% reported they had been diagnosed with depression. That is four times the national average of 6%. Anxiety disorders, which is another way this can go, affect one in eight children. That's according to the ADAA. And now we're going to introduce Arlene and then get her up here in a minute. Arlene Schneider is uh, blessed to be on this program tonight. She blesses me with her presence and with for the rest of our listening audience out there. Arlene Schneider holds a master's degree social work from Louisiana State University. She joins us from Louisiana this evening. And she's worked in a number of clinical settings for 14 years. She has a bunch of different clinical uh, certifications, uh, clinical license, clinical social worker, et cetera, and so forth, and worked in a clinical setting for a long time. Arlene then put her career on hold to raise her two sons, and that's where she became interested in life coaching. Uh, Arlene is a professional certified coach from the International Coaching Federation, that's the ICF, and also an associate credited coach, which they kind of uh, are an elite uh, level of coaches that hold the whole coaching industry to a certain standard. Her coaching practice specializes in coaching both students and parents of high school students. Arlene's going to bring all that experience to the table tonight in what is going to be a very interesting dialogue. Arlene. Hey, Frank. Thank you so much for that awesome introduction. I do need to say, however, that I live in Houston, Texas now. I love my home state oh, you of do? Louisiana. Yeah, I live in Houston. I've lived here since the 80s. Oh, and it's shoot. hot. I'm sorry like, about that. It's hot as New Jersey. You guys have 90 <laughs> at 84. I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> we had you beat there. I'm I'm sorry. I apologize. Yeah. I forgot that you were out in Houston. Um, I'm a, I'm a Louisiana um, Texan. Yeah, there's a bunch of Cajuns here, so I'm in good company. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably a common thing. Well, welcome to Undivided. And thank, thank you, you so for much for having tonight. me. I, I hear you loud and clear. Can you hear me loud and clear? Yes. Awesome. That's always what we want to check before we move any further. So as you heard in the opening, and we've talked about it ourselves in our phone conversations, and this is something we came to together as well, is this idea of the stress on the students um, and what that can do and how that can manifest itself. And so I think, you know, as we jump into the first segment of the show and we look at the divide here, which is the first segment, you know, when did this expectation for high school students uh, for, to be what I call, quote, unquote, superhuman, when did that start? You know, you mentioned um, something about the anxiety and depression rates within the last decade. And that has a lot to do with the societal pressures that kids are now under. Um, you know, there's so much going on these days that affect children much differently than they did when I was in high school in the 70s. There's much more competition in academics. 
These days, everyone is expected to go to college. Before, it was okay to go to a trade school. It was okay to go to community college. And now in a lot of high schools, the pressure for everyone to go to college is increasing and not everybody fits that mold and that's okay. Another thing that has a, an impact and I know parents don't always like to hear this, but baby boomer parents have different expectations than our parents did. Um, social media plays a big part in, in, in depression, anxiety, as we all know, we hear about that almost every day. And one thing I just want to mention is that until the 80s, actually, there was no diagnosis of depression for teens. It, the, the moodiness that teens experienced before the 80s was just seen this a normal trend that teens went through. Then it became increasingly evident that teenagers needed more intervention because they were seeing lots of suicide and um, cutting and the different things that you mentioned. Another thing with, um, that goes with the, the baby boomer parents is they're the rise of the helicopter parents and with rescuing children from you know, bad grades and, and intervening with teachers rather than letting the children work it out. So as a result, children don't have the coping skills or the problem-solving skills that a lot of kids did in the past because before parents were a lot more hands-off and children were able to develop these skills. Um, now parents seem to take care of it in a lot of environments. And, and that's very true. I had a conversation with someone else recently about the whole helicopter parenting scenario. Mm -hmm. And that is definitely you know, one big trend that has changed in, in the way that uh, people do parent their children. Um, and it has affected children so much. It really, it really has affected how children behave, how they interact with teachers, how they interact with other adults, how they interact with other children because they're expected to be rescued or have a parent intervene so that they don't have to get a bad grade or you know, turn in a project if they had a bad night. It's really pretty interesting um, to see what's going on in the schools, not only in high schools, but in colleges also. Right, and then they say, well, you know, aren't you going to give me a break on this? Because everyone's right. giving them a break on things. And, exactly. and you don't get any breaks in the real world, and then it doesn't serve them down the line. I know the parents probably think that they're doing right by by doing right. that to try to, you know, get involved and, and protect their child or stick up for them, quote, unquote. But it, right. it becomes a situation where the student becomes a coddled, and that's not really serving them when they get out. Mm -hmm. When they get out there in the real world, no one's going to be giving them breaks, you know. Right. And it, it is important for me to say that parents do it out of love and concern. They're not doing it to have their children not learn coping skills. It's just they are raising their children differently than they were raised. That's true. What else has changed between even like the late 1990s or the early 2000s and now? It seemed like that was a much different situation. From the you know, late 1990s, right? And one thing that is that pivoted. 
Absolutely. Um, one thing that has changed is the fact that mental health treatment has decreased. Like, for instance, when I grew up in Louisiana, we had mental health centers in every parish. And Louisiana, as everyone knows, is not a wealthy state, but every parish had a mental health center. Um, I know that I'm in Virginia, there were mental health centers. None of those exist anymore. So the availability of mental health treatment a long time ago was much more available. Um, Now you have to go through insurance. A lot of people don't have insurance for that kind of thing. So just the the visibility and availability of mental health treatment has decreased significantly in the past decades. That's true. That's a, that's a big part of this too, the rise in that cost. And I had Mm -hmm. that when we had the, um, the mental illness, the stigma mental illness show and discussing that as far as insurance and who can, uh, cover that and who can't and the rising cost mm-hmm. of, of what's left. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's um, a whole other component of this. Um, why do you think the rate of anxiety-related disorders or mental illness among teens, and we talked about that and I mentioned that in the intro, uh, mm-hmm. why has it increased so much in a short period of time? You know, um, essentially... There's, like I had said, um, there's just a lot more competition now within between the the adolescents themselves and the parents. Um, Kids are much more; they're expected to be perfect almost. They, I have an 18 year old son who's graduating in you know this month, and I have a 21 year old son who's a junior in college, and I'm knocking on wood. Um, I'm blessed that um, they have made it so far, but it's been a rough road. It is a much, much more rough road than what I experienced because the competition to get into a quote, unquote, good college is (laughs) significant. The competition to do um, service work where my sons went to school, Jesuit schools, they had to do a hundred hours of work their senior year to graduate, which is awesome. But not only that, for the college resume, they also had to have, they had to have a resume to essentially to get into college. Um, It wasn't just enough to make good grades. And there's competition for the SAT scores and the ACT scores to be national merit scholars to make a perfect score. And, and parents are very competitive about this as well. Um, and also on turning the page on that, there's just much more awareness of, of anxiety and depression as a whole in the country. It's The stigma is still there, but it's not as much. It's okay now for people to talk about being depressed and anxious. And I it was with some parents the other day, and it was just amazing how people just opened up about their children having issues and um, being in treatment and having and being on medication. It's in every family, not every family, but it's families you don't look at and say, oh, I'm sure I have a depressed kid. 
I mean, it, it doesn't matter. It is, it is a, it, mental health does not discriminate. It is. And we're going to pick up there in a second. We are at 716. We're at our 15-minute break point here live on the East Coast. This is Undivided, episode number 21, Teen Stress. Upcoming show promotion, Push Through, Paul Garwood Show. As I mentioned, Paul, earlier, he came on my show on episode 19. Paul Garwood Show, Push Through. The series continues. It's Sunday nights. Next episode is Sunday, May the 6th. That's this Sunday evening, 8 p.m. Eastern, on the Life Coach chat channel. Paul talks about a lot of different uh, topics related to mental illness and emotional distress and other psychiatric conditions and how people have persevered through them. It's a very inspiring show and series. Paul Garwood, Push Through, Sunday, May 6th at 8 p.m. Eastern, on the Life Coach chat channel part of the life coach radio network family of channels catholic charities 800-919-9338 that's catholic charities 800-919-9338 and we are back here on undivided episode number 21 teen stress and talking about having to have a resume to get into college i know people that can't even handle writing a resume now (laughs) uh, right to, to get a job and you have mm-hmm. to have a resume to get into college. I, I mean, it's the paradigm has shifted so much, and and you know ACT mm-hmm. scores and SAT of course are are very mm-hmm. competitive as well. Um, in your role as a parent, when you're a parent, um, how do you approach your high school age child when they're struggling to cope with some of these issues? That's a great question. I'm so glad you brought that up. And because I wanted to talk to parents about that, don't be afraid. Parents so often are afraid to talk to their children about the child's moodiness or anger or isolation. But I'm just begging parents, don't be afraid. Ask questions. Um, Ask curious questions. Um, let them know that you're there for them. A lot of the times the children are actually relieved that somebody's noticed because they can't always articulate what they're feeling because a lot of the times, especially boys, how do boys behave they're depressed? You know what? They'll be really angry. They have an agitated depression most of the time. So the parents just see them as being moody, hormonal teenagers actually could be depression. Um, Just ask them what's going on. And they likely will say, I'm fine, I'm fine. But don't give up, especially if you see other changes in behavior, changes in how they dress, changes in who they're hanging around with. If they're isolating more, if they're not wanting to do their normal activities, bring them to your pediatrician, bring them to a coach or a psychologist and let someone evaluate them so that they can get the proper treatment. But don't give up. Do not ignore the signs. Do not ignore the signs. It's a matter of life and death. It really is. It truly is a matter of life and death. It's, uh, it can be that serious and that mm-hmm. significant a consequence. It really can be, um, mm-hmm. which is it's great that you came on tonight because I'm not a parent, so I don't have, you know, experience in that. 
Um, in your clinical experience, mm-hmm. what was the most common outcome, you know, of stress with, with high school students? What was the most common outcome there? Like, how did it manifest, or was it all different ways? Is there one that kind of jumps out to you? You know, and it, there's a difference between how the males and females handle it. Um, many times the boys, as I mentioned before, will get very agitated. They will be angry. They want to push everyone away. They will isolate. Um, that's the behavior that they will show. Uh, grades will drop. Uh, with with the females, a lot of the time, they will be sad. They may start wearing different clothing, like bigger clothing, long sleeves during the summer because they might be cutting. Um, they may start dressing differently. They may start coloring their hair differently or wearing different kinds of makeup. Um, and that's a lot of the time. It could be just a sign of a teenager trying on different identities, but it also could be a sign of a struggle within. And all of those things are signs yeah. for parents to just check in, just check in with your children. That's good advice. You know, it doesn't have to be anything overbearing and mm-hmm. you don't want them to feel, you know, micromanaged, if you will. Right. Uh, right. Or that you're like over their shoulder. Uh, I know that I saw something recently where there's uh, these apps now that uh, students have put on their phones or uh, people of that age have put on their phones that disguise what they're really doing with their phones. Mm -hmm. So like the app Mm -hmm. looks like a calculator, but it's actually like they're masking some of the activities so that when parents check their phone Mm -hmm. or check what they're doing as far as you know, usage of, of their phone and social media, it disguises that activity. I don't know if you had heard that about that. Is, I thought that was... Yes. Uh, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. So <laughs> yes. there's all different ways that this can go. So, you know, parents think they're doing right by that, too. Oh, I'm going to check in on the phone. I'm going to see who they're texting or who they're sending pictures to. They really may not know, you know, uh, what's going on in that way. And, you, and Absolutely. there's a... There's a student or the child, they don't want to feel like they're always being, you know, uh, micromanaged, you know, or, or picked on. So that's going to create a very defensive uh, mechanism, I think, there, too, uh, mm-hmm. for them that's not going to really aid uh, dialogue, I would think, in that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think with, for, for instance, personally, I've never checked my son's phone. Um, never. But what I do have on my senior, and of course, when he goes to college, that I will take that off, but he has the Life360 app because he's in Houston. Houston is a dangerous place, drives a lot. And part of our agreement is if you're going to drive around Houston and the surrounding area, we have to be able to track you to know where you are in case you get into a situation. And that has happened one time he was, um, he and his buddy were rear-ended. So my husband was able to actually find them because, you know, he didn't know where he was. He's in a completely different part of town. So I really like the app that can allow parents to know where their kids are. And again, it's not stalking. Um, It's just making sure that you know where your children are and they're safe. 
very important. And uh, again, th there's a, a big difference between the two, between you know, being overbearing and making sure that they're safe. That there's mm -hmm. totally different things. Uh, and that's I'm glad that we um, and that you mentioned that that we kind of put that out there on the show uh, for people that are listening out there. Uh, we had also discussed the role of socioeconomics. And that's another divide that really fascinates me. We've touched a little bit of, on this show. I did a show with Marla Goldberg about, you know, essentially uh, keeping up with the Joneses. Mm -hmm. Socioeconomics, what role does that play? You know, we had, we had discussed a couple of things about uh, upper crust families or people from the upper echelon um, and how they deal with, with their kids that might be uh, dealing with certain issues related to stress versus maybe another socioeconomic group. What, what role does socioeconomics play? Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this, that mental, mental illness does not discriminate. Personally, I don't see, see a huge difference. The incidence of mental health and the socioeconomic groups all parents want their children to be healthy and happy. Um, now, access to treatment, that's another story. But, um, you know, it hits everyone equally. It hits everyone equally. Everyone hurts the same, regardless of if you're living in a, you know, a $2 million house or a $60,000 house. Does that, does that address your question? Right. Right. I, I would think that in my experience and what I've seen in dealing with, with certain situations relative to socioeconomics, um, I think a lot of it gets kind of swept under the rug, too. So they don't want to, uh, there are certain people that don't want to admit that their child has that serious problem. So it either doesn't get handled the right way or it doesn't get addressed, um, you know, correctly because they're afraid of the, uh, of the stigma almost or the uh, people talking about them or about their kid and because it might reflect badly on them. We had a little bit of this conversation and dialogue in the suicide epidemic show. Is that, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the child, the student committed suicide, and they said, well, the parents must have messed up. Or, you know, Jim committed suicide, but his wife didn't love him or didn't pick up on the signs. It's her fault. Um, mm. And I've heard that in my own life. You know, the parents really messed up with uh, little Jimmy because you know that wouldn't have happened if they, you know, were, had both hands on the wheel, so to speak. So that's mm. kind of where I was going. Is I've seen that, you know, that they almost can't admit that the kids have a problem. So then it doesn't get addressed the right way, you know. Well, I see um, that across the board, actually. But I, I, what you brought up oh, is really? a really good okay. point. Yeah, I really do. Um, now, addiction, I, that which would be another episode, but I see addiction hand, handled differently. Um, but mental illness, depression, and anxiety, not so much. But I do want to um, address what something that you said about it's not anyone's fault. If, if your child is depressed or anxious, it's not anyone's fault. Some people just like some people might be predisposed to diabetes. 
some people can be predisposed to depression or anxiety. And then we have things that tip the scale. Like, Frank, at the beginning, you mentioned seeing some kids walking this afternoon. They seem stressed. You know what? They are because Mm -hmm. it's the end of the year and it's finals and it's AP exams Mm -hmm. and it might be getting ready to go to college or it might be getting ready to do all the college applications. Stress is real. So things will tip the scale if a a child is predisposed to anxiety or depression, hormonal changes can tip the scale. A parent dying, a divorce, um, a breakup. Anything like that could tip the scale. You know, some kids seem more resilient. It could be that they are, but it could be that they're just not predisposed to anxiety and depression. If we look at it as the same as predispositions to heart disease or diabetes or asthma, it's the same thing. I remember the fall my junior year in, in high school, I had a real wake up call that it was real that I was, you know, half more than halfway through high school and they started, you know, showing me different lists with my guidance counselor, my parents of different schools that I could potentially mm-hmm. get into. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really want to go to any of the schools that were on the list to take nothing away mm-hmm. from those schools or anything. It just either wasn't in an area that I wanted to go to school or um, it just wasn't a school that had a program that was of interest to me. Uh, so that was my wake-up call, and I remember, you know, really trying to buckle down and, as they say, and really focus in on a lot of different things between activities and and the grades uh, uh, side of the equation, the coursework side of the equation. And then, you know, I improved a lot in in the standings, you know, as far as the class rank and that sort of thing. But I remember my, the spring of my junior year. Yeah, I was running track. Like I, I did uh, multiple sports in high school, and so mm-hmm. the fall I did a sport, in the spring I did a sport, and in the winter I used to do a sport. And I had to drop it because it was too much after my sophomore year. And so mm-hmm. like I'm running track and I run a lot of different events, and I'm like I'm not in the headspace to go. Like I really didn't want to do it. I'm like I'm so stressed out. Now I got to go look at schools like while mm-hmm. I'm on the track and why all this other stuff is going on. I just, it just wasn't, I remember being that stressed out and that was then, you know, I can imagine it's mm-hmm. with the competition for spots. It's really ratcheted up. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, we're going to continue in a moment. We're at 7:30. We're at the midpoint of the show break. It goes by fast. 7:30 on the East coast here live in New Jersey at life coach radio network and undivided episode 21. We'll be back in a moment. Uh, But first, a reminder, Audible.com is our sponsor. I'm going to open the phone lines in a second. number to call will be 646-716-9397. If you'd like to email a question, it's undividedshow. That's undivided, S-H-O-W, at gmail.com. Trina Ramsey has a solo show coming up. You know, Trina does a couple different shows on the network. She also does Sisters of the Diaspora, which we talked about two weeks ago. Uh, Trina has a solo show coming up. Trina Ramsey, solo program, brand new episode, Tuesday, May the 8th at 8 p.m. Eastern on Life Coach Chat Channel. And then Kimberly Frazier, Enjoying Life on Purpose, Thursday, May the 10th 
at 7 p.m. on Life Coach chat channel. That's 7 p.m. Eastern. That's Kimberly Fraser's show, Enjoying Life on Purpose. It's a great show. Thursday, May 10th at 7 p.m. www.salvationarmyus.org, www.samaritanspurse.org, some great organizations. And as we talked about Kimberly's show, Enjoying Life on Purpose, which is a very inspiring show, you know, every week I do this spot. If you or someone you love, as we're talking about tonight, is under stress, is in duress, is under anxiety, is something that they just can't get out of their mind, something that they can't, they seem stuck and they can't get around, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 800-273-8255. That's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 800 273 8255. You matter, so please call. If you know someone, please get them to call. Please encourage them. Every life is important. Every life is created by God. Every life is special. National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That's 800-273-8255. And we're back here on Undivided Episode number 21, Teen Stress. We're going to open the phone line 646 716-9397 if you have a question for Arlene or myself please call in when you do call in I'm going to ask you your name where you're from what your question is and to please turn down the speakers or wherever you're listening to the program so we don't have feedback in the background undivided show at gmail.com if you'd rather email a question because of the sensitivity of the topic I can understand that we got a lot of people that are interested in doing that. So now we go into our next segment, Arlene. I hope you're still with me. I'm here. Awesome. We're going to go into the next uh, segment of our show. So we talked about the divide. We talked about all of the stress and all the pressures and all of the anxiety and all the things that are put upon uh, students and high school teenagers at this point. Now we go into the bridging the divide segment. So how do we bridge a divide? between the societal perception that teenagers are disengaged, quote-unquote, and the reality, as we spoke about in the open, that 49% of high school students say they experience, quote-unquote, a great deal of stress daily. Let me ask you this just for clarification. When you say disengaged, how are you defining that? I'm sorry, what was that? I couldn't hear When you're saying disengaged, how, how are you defining disengagement? Uh, okay. Uh, people feel that teenagers are just, they're kind of not there or they're kind of disinterested or they can be, that they seem like they just don't have any drive, that they're not motivated in certain cases. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you see them in a like, oh, what, what's wrong with this kid? Like, they're just yeah. not, you know, they just seem like they don't really care. That's what I meant by disengaging. You know, that's um, what I was um, thinking you meant, but I just wanted to make sure before I launched off into something. You know, when I hear that about, exactly, when I hear that about teens and about millennials, it, I scra- it's a scratching my head mo- moment. Because I personally don't 
see that. I think millennials have a bad rap, rap and I wrote an article about it. Um, millennials and teens are faced with so much today and that we talked about already. They are far from being disengaged. They are doing more um, service work than people have. They are applying to more colleges than ever. They are more involved in the community and in their schools and in um, their churches than ever before. I don't see that, that they're disengaged. You know, if they, if they are, they don't have a chance because so many others are. I just think it's a misperception um, because of the differences. Somebody older may look at what kids are doing and see them on their phones, for instance, and think they're disengaged. It's just a difference in perspective because kids now, I find, are really super engaged in lots and lots of things. And I think that's what's causing a lot of the stress that we're talking about. Sure, they're so overscheduled. I know certain mm-hmm. children in that you know age demographic, and they're so overscheduled. It's like, man, they're they're so busy. It's I I never had uh, things every night like that when I went to school. Right. And, right. And then three plus hours of homework. And I, I mean, that's a lot. It's a lot. It's it's, it's, it's a, so a much. <laughs> it's so much. My <laughs> son who's a senior and, is in a play. They have been practicing since January. He wouldn't get home until 7.30 at night. Then he had to do homework. So as a result of that, he didn't get to go to the gym. He didn't get to run. So his stress level increased dramatically because exercising is important for relieving stress. But it was just, that's what you do. If you're playing baseball, if you're running track, you ran track. You know those track meets last till 9, 10 o'clock at night. When are you laying on the, you're laying on the tarmac doing your homework, right? Um, you know, kids yep. have a lot of things going on, a lot. So the disengagement, I think it's just misperception. That's the an important point. I think it's a really valid one. That's a very valid one because there's so much thrown at them too. I didn't have social media, as mm-hmm. we talked about before. I didn't. I wasn't bombarded with messaging constantly, mm-hmm. and. I do that now for like business purposes and mm-hmm. it's crazy overwhelming sometimes because you're mm-hmm. just dealing with stuff constantly between text mm-hmm. and between, mm-hmm. you know, all the different social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can get totally off, off the rails with this. Uh, so I think that's totally. a big part of it too. It's exhausting. Yeah. It's exhausting. And it's the pressure you know, to respond immediately. Who, Exactly. It's like, you know, it's expected that, okay, mm-hmm. you're going to get right back to me. I sent you this, you know, what are we doing with it? And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's a lot of pressure. You know, it you is. feel that you're just getting hit on all sides and there's no shutoff point. You know, uh, I've talked to other people that say, oh, you know, back in the day before we had cell phones, before we had this, before we had that, I worked a a job that was nine to five or ten to six, it was truly that. At six o'clock, I didn't have to deal with anything anymore. That those days mm-hmm. are over. Right. You know, dealing with stuff you know, constantly. Yeah, you know, my wife and I are mm-hmm. dealing with stuff all the time. It's like, mm-hmm. you gotta, and there's no shutoff points. You know, ten thirty right. at night, something comes up, and you gotta do what you gotta do. 
but it, there's it the expectation. How do we address it? Yes, there's all these high expectations to us. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we address the fact that 26% of high school students are diagnosed with depression, and that's four times the national average of 6%? Yeah, that's just a startling statistic. We address it, it is. by um, more intervention, more education. Um, intervention in the beginning is necessary. You know, again, it's not to nag your children, but if you see a behavioral change, jump on it. Check out. Don't be afraid to do that. Um, education about what anxiety is and that there can be remedies for anxiety, education. How do, how do you help to manage anxiety? You exercise. You meditate. Do yoga, run, paint, draw, journal. There's something for everyone. The fact is that it's, it's an epidemic, and the intervention early on is necessary. And I know that there are schools now that are address, addressing it in elementary, junior high, about stress and anxiety and having yoga and meditation in school, which is really awesome. And that's helping kids to learn to manage, self-manage their anxiety. I didn't realize that. That's uh, I, that's uh, interesting, really interesting development, and, and, and almost an out of the box thing, if you will, for, mm-hmm. for a school to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Kind of really out of the box to introduce mm-hmm. that uh, different methods to try and cope with the stress levels. I know people that do yoga. I personally do not. Um, and uh, from what I understand, it's really helped them as well with dealing with some of those similar issues, you know, stress from career or uh, stress from uh, family or other things, financial stress, uh, which all mm-hmm. sometimes tie together. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but I do know that from some other people that, that I know. Um, but it is, it's a huge problem when you when you look at that type of statistic. It's, it's, uh, it's big and it's kind of glaring and it's something that I think goes back to what you had said before, you know, parents, teachers, everyone looking for the early signs of that. You know, we have Paul mm-hmm. Garwood over to talk about bullying in schools and, and how mm-hmm. teachers get involved with bullying and tends to help, mm-hmm. you, you know, mm-hmm. kind of mitigate some of the ways that this could go. You know? mm-hmm. um, I would love to see parents um, pressure the school, especially high school to have more education about anxiety and depression and stress. Um, schools are starting to address it, particularly the more the private schools, but I think parents need to be able to go to the schools and say, this is needed. Um, educate teachers on how to recognize stress in their kids. It's not that somebody Somebody may be sleeping because they're tired and they stayed up all night. Somebody may be disengaged in the classroom because they're bored, but it could be that they're depressed. And having teachers to be educated enough to check in with the students to say, hey, I've noticed in the last week you haven't like you usually do. What's going on? Check it out. Educate teachers. Give them permission. Give them the ability to check things out and have counselors that are not only good academic or college counselors in high schools, but also 
mental health counselors or coaches. There's so many, so many opportunities in schools to help these, these children. And it's just not happening. And it's really sad. It's really, it's really sad to see children not getting help in the schools. So it's up to parents, I think, to pressure the schools to do something. That's an excellent point. I was going to ask you, you know, who would come in and, and do that sort of thing? And then you answered my question with that, mm-hmm. with, you know, bringing people in that are professionals and bringing people in that are clinicians, social workers, uh, mm-hmm. you know, extra pairs of hands to be a, a coach that has dealt with this. Right. Um, and sort of that sort of thing. Because the schools are not very open to that because they don't want to admit that they have a suicide problem in their school or depression problem in their school or there's a lot of stress because the schools, especially the ones that are private, they need to have a community perspective that, hey, this is a great place to send your teenager. And if it gets out that they have mental health counselors in the school, then they're afraid of what does that say? And they may, the, the schools may think, oh, that's giving an impression that our school is so high stress that we need a mental health counselor. When actually it says we are caring for your children and we are realistic about what's going on in the world today. So I really would love for parents to just get, get on that get on that train and, and bring it to the attention of the administration. And that speaks to the societal stigma around that too. Mm-hmm. The, right. the stigma of, Oh, you know, we want to admit that, you know, we have a problem here. But right. Then, you know, when something happens, then it would say, Oh gosh, you know, how did that happen? You know, mm-hmm. or it's not our fault that it happened. And those are the, right. the, re- the results of, of those repercussions uh, of not mm-hmm. having people there. Um, and then I, I know some other people are going to probably chime in after this episode is archived and email me or something about this and say, well, you know, there's a, uh, probably a budgetary thing. But now if, if you told me and I'm a parent that, you know, we would have to spend X money to have, you know, people in there that can help keep your child from slipping into a deep depression and harming or, or killing themselves, I think everyone would vote for that budget line. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, right, absolutely. So, you know, no matter what the uh, the the uh, cost parameter was, um, mm-hmm. some high schools we had talked about this, and I mentioned it in the opening. Some high schools here in New Jersey have dedicated these classrooms to quote unquote fragile students, uh, students mm-hmm. that have a, a lot of anxiety, anxious students. Is this a band aid or is this a solution? Well. You know, I guess we'll have to see how that goes because since it's new and you introduced me to that, to that concept, Texas does not have that as far as I'm concerned, but I'm just going to give you my opinion on that. Um, if a, a child is so fragile that they need to be in their own classroom, it's, it's possible that they may need to be in a different environment. Um also, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with the fact that children are labeled as fragile because what, how, is, how is that helping them? One, they're going to be bullied. I mean, can you imagine that? Oh, that's the fragile child. That's the fragile class. Oh, um, gosh, yeah. 
I, I just, the labeling and the bullying, it's just after we talked about it and I, I thought about it, it's like, oh, I am just so against that. Um, I, I personally don't like it just as a um, former mental health professional and current coach. To me, it's a, just an invitation to bullying. And it also, is that a self-fulfilling prophecy? Okay, I've been labeled as fragile, so now I'm stuck with that label. I think it might be better just to give everybody education and coping skills and problem solving because somebody's been labeled as fragile because of what, what, what symptoms do they have? That doesn't mean that somebody is walking around making straight A's and they're on the cross country team isn't fragile in their own way. It's not just kids who are breaking down crying their math tests are fragile. They are Kids who seem to have it all commit suicide as well. So I, I see a lot of holes in, in, in that fragile child bucket. I do too. I'm, it's a little scary to put that kind of label on someone and then oh, you know, expect them not to be consequences to that in a high school right. environment. Right. Uh, <laughs> They're all fragile. Oh, boy. They're all fragile. <laughs> They're teenagers. It's a fragile time, but you know, it's a, it's an opportunity all also to look at it as, hey, look at the possibilities in your life right now. Look at the opportunities in your life. What can you work on? Where are you stuck? There are so many different ways to reframe that to make it come from a position of strength rather than a position of weakness. Exactly. And maybe in time that will change. Maybe the mm-hmm. methodology methodology will change and they will come at it from a different perspective of one of strength mm-hmm. and maybe put a different place mm-hmm. of uh, that, I don't want to say label, um, but to also provide, I think it's got to really reach where the, where the student is and try and help mm-hmm. them where they are, not further ostracize them mm-hmm. uh, from right. everybody. And maybe it's feeling yeah. in a supportive environment. You know, I know right. in my own situation, you know, in schools, if I felt like I was being supported, by, supported, I was a better student. If mm-hmm. you know, in the workplace, if I feel like my supervisor and his boss have my back, and I'm in a supportive environment of growth, I'm going to be a better, more productive employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I right. think that so the same kind of thing can be applied uh, when you look at that. The same kind of concept can be applied there. Uh, mm-hmm. We did get a we did have a question. It was part of what what uh, I was doing in my uh, my own research. It came up, and someone else asked me about this. But I want to say that neither you or I can really speak on the consequences of low social connectedness and how that. I know that's part of one of the trends uh, that tie in here. So I would say if if you're really interested in that, to look up a subject matter expert and see what they may have to say about that. Um, I, I would assume that low social connectedness does play a role. I would think it would definitely, in, in the high schools in New Jersey, when they're labeled as fragile students, um, really not help their social connectedness. Um, <laughs> exactly. But may, I think <laughs> that's a question for us for a subject matter expert and, and uh, not something where we really want to go. Um, how can a parent ask or start a dialogue? You know, what can they ask? How can they begin? How can they start a dialogue with their uh, child on this? And how can coaching help 
it's it's a two-part question. That's um, a great two-part question. Um, First, parents need to, as I mentioned before, ask curious questions to their children, which means avoid lecturing or minimizing or overreacting. And I see a lot of parents, when they want to talk to their children about their behavior, it's, you know, you, 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 and lecturing, and you need to walk the, you know, the straight line instead of just sitting down and saying, you know, these are my observations. Um, I'm really worried about you. How can I help? And a lot of times the kid will go, you know, I don't know. And that's when the parent can say, you know what, I know a coach, we're going to, you know, make an appointment. I know a therapist or I'm going to bring you to the pediatrician and perhaps she could refer someone. There's so many ways to do it that will help your children to open up, but it comes it, it comes from a place of curiosity rather than you're not behaving right. Um, how are you going to get to college if you're moping around and you don't do your homework? Avoiding those kinds exactly. of confrontations. And you know your child. And I also <laughs> want to say you have an instinct. Parents, mm-hmm. we have these parent, parental instincts. Trust your instinct. If you feel something's wrong with your child, something's not right. Their behavior is off. They, they have a dead look in their eyes. They're not laughing as much as they used to. They're not, they don't want to go out for ice cream. It's different. Use your gut to act on that because so many times, because we're all very busy. We're busy, busy. The kids are busy and it's easy to just say, oh, it's hormones. Are all, you know, that calculus class is killing it. Check in and trust your gut. You will not be, you will not be disappointed. Trust your gut because every parent has it. And every time I know a parent has trusted their gut, it has made a huge difference. That's excellent advice for the parents that are listening. So thank you for sharing that because it's knowing the warning signs. I think as we we head towards the top of the hour, knowing the early signs, the warning signs, getting involved, taking it a step beyond, um, being there and being supportive in a non-confrontational way, that's what I think is going to break down these barriers that could come up around a, a student that feels overwhelmed or feels anxious all the time and doesn't even know maybe how to even uh, explain that or uh, understand what's going on. You know, it mm-hmm. might be, ah, you know, what's happening? Um, they don't mm-hmm. even know that they're they're in over their head and, and and then they're in too deep, uh, mm-hmm. and, and they feel like they're drowning, as they say. So it's it's important that they know they have a helping hand, that there are people there, and that also speaks your your second piece of that as far as coaching. We had talked about this, and I had a conversation with someone else recently about it too, about the view of coaching for people in that age demographic and in the millennial set. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they view coaches a lot differently than they might view a therapist or a mm-hmm. shrink, quote unquote, or somebody that oh, you have to go to a shrink. And then I, you know, we're, we're you and I, we talked to the phone, you know, I got a life coach. That's like a cool thing, you know. Exactly. Uh, people that either are millennials are like, hey, man, I, I'd love to have a life, I'm going to have a life coach like my friend Billy does, you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's right? important to. So that to... helps break down some of that thing. 
It does. It does. And it's important to, to, for your audience to understand that a coach is not a therapist. And if a referral needs to be made in those cases where a therapeutic intervention is needed, absolutely we do that. Um, that is that is something that we all do. We have strict ethical regulations. So I just wanted to say that. So that being said, yes, my clients love having a coach and they really like coming in because when they come in, every time I say, what are we going to accomplish today or what are we working on? I don't care how their day went. I don't want to know how your day went. I don't want to know how your week went. I want to know what we're going to work on. And at the end of the session, I ask, did you accomplish your goal today? So I, I, it's different than therapy because a lot of the times kids come in and they think they're just going to talk to me for an hour. Mm, that's, we're going to work. And so that really does help them to move forward and to be able to tackle the stress and anxiety and the negative self-talk. And, and the results are, are pretty spectacular. That's an awesome uh, also a good, uh, excuse me, uh, distinction to make is, yeah, I've, I've made it on other shows, but people may not have listened to those. You know, the show we did on mental illness, the show that I did with Paul on the suicide epidemic. Uh, there are other shows, too, where, where I've said, you know, we're not licensed therapists. We're not, mm-hmm. you know, licensed practicing clinicians. There's a difference between therapy and coaching, and we've talked about it in prior shows, and it, and in situations where you get those as a coach, you hear those buzzwords and you get that this person has uh, an ideation or a plan to do something. Mm-hmm. Like there's all sorts of protocols and mm-hmm. ethics to, to, to and mm-hmm. I would refer that person out. I, I would never right. even, you know, consider trying to tackle that. So there is a big difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Ours is focused really on forward motion and action planning and getting people to navigate those barriers and break down those blocks and and reach our full potential and that's what's so awesome about it is seeing right. when that happens those breakthroughs occur and mm-hmm. that's great so we've come now to the um, point of our show where now we transition to the common ground segment we're almost to the top of the hour here in the east uh, how do we find common ground here on this issue on scaling back all these activities and maybe looking at some of, of the pressures, how do we deal with all of the stuff that's involved and on a plate of a high school student so that they could just have fun or be a kid? Are there you know, ways that we can do that? You know, yes, I think, and that's the million-dollar question, and that's when um, the parents are so um, important. And this starts actually in preschool because – it's not uncommon um, in schools and in preschools and with three-year-olds for parents to, at, at that early age, pick a sport. Okay, I'm going to put my kids in swimming because they could swim for, you know, the next 15 years and not have injuries as they would in baseball or football. They can get a scholarship to college they can make the Olympic trial. Parents start, I live in in Houston in an area that's very competitive. It's upper middle class. Those kids start 
competitive sports very young, and the parents are very competitive. So very, very, at a very young age, kids start these um, activities, which is not bad. I, I'm not saying that that's bad, but if parents are doing it with the idea that their kids are going to go to the Olympic trials or to get a scholarship, it's for the wrong purpose. So it's starting early with the mentality that you've got to accomplish something in your sport rather than just playing for fun and just interacting <laughs> and learning to interact, which in preschools a lot of the time, a lot like my kids went to preschool, they just colored and did they learned to play and to socialize. And now I visited with a preschool teacher the other day and she gets pressure from parents they want the kids actually doing academics, not just playing. And, wow. and every preschool teacher really? will tell you it's about playing. This is a very important time for them to learn to socialize. That's when socializing learning takes place. So, Frank, it takes place. What you're talking about starts early on. Um, and if kids are starting at, you know, in preschool at age three, if the mentality is you've got to learn your ABCs, you've got to learn to read, you've got to be um, competitive in a sport, by the time you get to high school, that's what they know. So it starts before high school. That mentality starts way before then. Wow. So you think that the, it's, it's so deep-rooted that it's going to take a lot of time? Uh, I think so. To, to kind and, of navigate this. Yeah, and I think there are a lot of parents who absolutely don't think like that, and they like their children to play. But once you get into eighth grade and high school, you know, they start talking about college preparation, ninth grade. And it's all about going to, again, quote, unquote, good college. They're all good. There's a fit for your child. Right. There is a fit for every child that is perfect. And if it's not a good fit, they can always transfer. But the fact that they're exactly. like, okay, my, my kid is going to, you know, applying to all IVs. You hear that a lot. And, you know, then you have mm -hmm. kids like, you know, I just kind of want to go to X college in my hometown and be okay with that. It's just being okay and not judging yourself or others about where you're going to school or what activity you're doing. Right. That's always the talk in the Northeast here. We have so many colleges yeah. and, and that was always the discussion and the dialogue was you, you would hear the name of the school and make a judgment about it. Mm, so you'd hear right. the name and make a judgment about, you know, the caliber of student, quote unquote, that mm. it was or the caliber of school that it was or, the, you know, um, how much it cost per year. So, that you know, everyone had, oh, you know, everyone's going to apply to, you know, let's say Colgate. I know a lot of people that did, and everyone got waitlisted. I was like, what was the point of doing that? Because I didn't. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I didn't apply to Colgate. I, I mean, that wasn't for me, not that it wasn't a great school. It just wasn't, wasn't mm -hmm. where I wanted to go to school. And, mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with, you know, applying to schools that really fit more of what I wanted to get out of the experience. And a lot of my friends did that too, so I didn't really feel the pressure. I saw it was different when you said that earlier about uh, being different by gender. It was different when my sisters went through that, especially my sister who's a couple years younger than me. Yeah, when she went through that, it was all this pressure about 
who's which friends going here, which friends applying to Harvard, and which friends applying to Notre Dame, and which friends applying to this, and who's going to you know wants to go to Duke. You know, I mean, Duke is such a low rate of admission you know, versus all the the applications they get. Mm-hmm. So there's all these other things involved. But you know, oh, you know, what schools are you looking at? And she felt mm-hmm. like she had to, to rattle off some big names, you know, right. just to quote unquote fit in. Mm-hmm. Right. I work and with a lot of people. Like, my friends weren't like that, so I, I didn't really have that experience. You know. You had a good group of friends, Frank. Good for you. You were you were a budding coach. I know. Then. I still keep in touch. With <laughs> yeah, I, I still keep in touch with them all these years later. I work closely with a way. college counselor here, and we gave a talk the other night to parents of juniors. And one thing that I said then is. You know, if you're in a conversation and you feel bullied or belittled about the schools your children are applying to or the schools you, you know, that y'all are talking about, you can avoid those people. You don't need that in your life, right? Um, be comfortable with where, where your child wants to go in your financial situation. But a lot of parents get really, you know, I learned that with my first child. A lot of parents, you know, it's, it's it's a very unusual situation when your child's applying to college, but it's just learning to set limits and boundaries with people, and feeling comfortable with saying, yeah, you know, it's I don't know where my child's applying. It's her decision, and being comfortable with that. Right, it's more about being comfortable in your own skin. I think that would be a, mm. a, a really good place for to start. Mm. You know, both both the parent and the student in this situation, like, hey. This is this is what's happening, and we're okay with that, you know? right? Or we don't have it all planned out. I had friends that were like <laughs> yeah. that too. They were like, you know, I don't really know what I want to do, so I'm going to go to college for two years. I don't want to waste my parents' awesome. money. And Isn't that awesome? Like, oh wow, that's cool. You know, that's awesome that you did that. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you know, it I'm not is. really sure, and I'll, and they did. They found their way. You know, they ended up going to transferring to great schools, like really big name schools, and really. And really taking off and finding themselves, and it was it was really cool to see that self discovery. You know, mm-hmm. that's uh, such a great point because way. yeah, it's not everybody when they're seventeen or eighteen knows what they want to do for the rest of their lives. Exactly. At certain points, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I became a life coach in my late fifties. Some days I don't know. <laughs> There's always an opportunity, regardless of your age. Exactly. There's always uh, lifelong learning. That's one of the things that my college instilled in me was a pursuit of lifelong learning. So I guess that's why I'm here trying all different sorts of things and and experiencing everything that I can. And it seems like you're doing the same thing. Arlene, thank you for uh, sharing that. I want to ask you what you have going on. You had mentioned earlier so thank you for coming on, for sharing your experience on the topic, uh, especially because, like I said, I don't have parenting experience, so that helped from your role, one, as a parent, two, as working with students for as long as you have and working with parents of students for as long as you have. You mentioned earlier that you did an article on millennials. Where could we find that article? Where could the listeners find that? Thank you. Um, my website is long. It is www.schneidercoachinggroup.com. Dot com and Schneider is S-C-H-N-E-I-D-E-R, coachinggroup.com. And under Lanyap, 
which is a Cajun word for a little something extra. Um, I have some articles there and one is on millennials and there's others there too about different topics. Excellent. Thank you for sharing your website. What else do you have going on? Well, as I mentioned, I'm now working with a college counselor and we are working with parents and children um, that are in the college application process. Um, and so she is just the most amazing woman. Um, she has been doing this and is, um, I don't want to say, but she's consulted with thousands of, of children. I'm so honored that she has taken me under her wing. And so we are trying to help parents get through the process so that they will still be talking to their children at the end of it and doing it with as little stress as possible. And it is possible. It really is. So I'm so excited about that opportunity to work with her and that, that group to the junior, well, it'll be seniors and uh, their parents. Well, that's excellent. It sounds like a great opportunity. Yes, it is. Can you it's hear me? exciting. It's so much fun. Yes, it is so much fun. That's, that sounds like a great opportunity for sure. Um, and again, for anything related to your coaching practice, is that that's the site to go to? Yes. Thank you. Excellent. So, yes, if, if anyone has any um, requirements, needs, questions, uh, wants to, to maybe investigate. I know Arlene has some different packages up. If you want to sign up for a package of sessions uh, with her, and get some guidance and uh, try and navigate some of the things that are going on in your life. If you're a student out there, if you're a parent, uh, both of those situations would apply. Um, so thank you, Arlene, for coming on. That's uh, I'm going to do some show promotions and wrap us up for the night, but I appreciate you having, having the time and taking the time to uh, share with the listeners on this very important topic and to know the warning signs for your kids. I think we had a great dialogue on this topic and on this barrier that can sometimes really divide families and help people navigate that. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. wish it could have gone on a little more, but thank you so much. And in, Enjoy your New Jersey weather. Uh, thank you. Yeah, no, it always yeah. goes quick, I tell you. That's what I tell people. It goes by fast. It does. Uh, but thank you very much again for doing it. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. We'll talk later. Definitely. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Sorry, I hit the uh, bye-bye. I uh, think I disconnected Arlene just a hair too early. Um uh, board was a little fast there. Uh, so, wrapping up our show for tonight, this is episode 21, Teen Stress, Marla and Jen's show. That's Marla Goldberg and Jen Pistikas will come at you with Living an Empowered and Enlightened Life. That's Tuesday, May the 15th at 7 p.m. Eastern on the Life Coach chat channel. Marla and Jen's show, Living an Empowered and Enlightened Life. And it's the five-year anniversary of Life Coach Radio Network. The five-year anniversary was actually yesterday. So our five-year anniversary, I want to commend Russ Terry and for starting this five years ago with a plan and a vision. 
and we're all able to now chip in and inspire people on a platform. Uh, so I, I really appreciate Russ and, and for what he did, his idea, and the nexus of that idea has spawned so many different series and so many wonderful things that have reached people. I also want to touch on something which I normally don't do, but I did have a couple of questions. You know, episode 20 was two weeks ago tonight, and we did a, a, a reunion-type show where we brought in different guests from the first 19 episodes. One of them was Nick Marchese, and Nick is the founder of founder and CEO of the Mama Film Festival. I didn't have any issue, and neither did Nick, and neither did a couple of other people when they listened back to it. I did hear from some people, I don't know if they were listening on a mobile device or if they were listening on a different platform or if their Wi-Fi signal caused a problem that they couldn't hear too well. So I wanted to reiterate the fact, because I did get a couple questions during the week about the Film 360 series. So the Film 360 series is something that's going to go on at the uh, for the local people in this area of New Jersey, will be at the new Homedale Library that's at the Bell Works building, the former Bell Labs building. Mama Film Festival is teaming up with the Homedale Library to do a free film screening every month for the next nine months with a one-month break because the, the big film festival is in August, so they're skipping August. Uh, the next installment of the Film 360 series, and that's why they were discussing it, also is I'm hosting three of those events the next one of those events is, is next Wednesday, a week from tonight, May the 9th. It's, I would get there around 6 p.m. or a little earlier to get a seat because the screening starts at, I think, 6.15 or 6.30. Um, and we're going to be screening, and I'm going to be hosting the panel where the wild things are. So that's uh, a week from tonight, Wednesday, May the 9th. I did want to reiterate that because I did get a couple of questions on that. Uh, during the week. Food for the Poor, www.foodforthepoor.org, and you can reach them by phone, 800-427-9104. So it's Food for the Poor, www.foodforthepoor.org, and it's 800-427-9104. They're a great charity out of South Florida. MAP International, 800-225-8550. That's MAP International, 800 225 8550, and it's Map. that's N-A-P as in Peter, does some tremendous work around the world. And as I had said in the open, you know, we're at May the 2nd, and we're at 90 degrees here in New Jersey. We feel like we've kind of jumped into summer, but May is a traditional, traditional month of spring, and it's also in the Roman Catholic tradition, which I have uh, sharing my Roman Catholic roots on this show and, and what my faith means to me in the show in the past. It's the month of Mary. It's the month, one of two months dedicated in the calendar, October being the other one. But it's synonymous with Mary. Uh, May crownings and things of that nature transpire in May. Uh, a focus on the rosary and a focus on motherhood. We have Mother's Day in the month of May coming up on the 13th. And isn't it appropriate that in May, and I was thinking about this yesterday when I had a phone conversation with my next guest, and that's where I'm going with this, that in May I have two moms as guests, two mothers that are working mothers and two moms that have an interest in children and in students and an interest in families, and that's what we're going to be focusing on in May 
uh, just by the way our schedules worked and by the way the calendar flowed and by the way everything came about and my conversations with them and their availability, et cetera. But I thought it was an interesting point to make that this in, in the month of May, the month of Mary, the month of our Blessed Mother, or the Blessed Mother and the Mother of God, that I have two mothers on this month. So I had Arlene on tonight and my next show, May 16th. That's two weeks from tonight. I will have Maggie Stearns, a mom who also works two jobs and is going to be talking about anxiety and parenting. So that's my next show that's undivided, episode number 22, with Maggie Stearns, two weeks from tonight, May the 16th at 7 p.m. So I thank you all very much for listening. I thank you to my listeners. You mean so much to me. Thank you so much for taking the time tonight and for sharing your evening with us or sharing your ride into work or sharing the time where you're cooking dinner with your family or sharing time at another point where you're listening to an archive show and you're driving or doing something or working. I appreciate it very much, and I hope that you get inspiration and you get guidance from the content here and that you continue to live a life that is undivided. So for Russ Terry and Trina Ramsey, for Danica Treble, for everyone at the Life Coach Radio Network that just celebrated five years of an anniversary, I'm blessed to be a part of this. I'm blessed to bring this show to you. I'm blessed by God to inspire others to live a life that is undivided. Until next time, everyone, be blessed and be well.